Today on the maiden voyage of the Mode Push podcast, the F1 summer break is over. Nine races to go on the calendar, and the championship fight is still on. Sort of. Can Ferrari squash their strategy and reliability issues from the front half of the season and hunt down the constructors' leading Red Bull? Can Max Verstappen hold on to his sizable world championship lead? A driver's market drama fit for soap operas and a preview of one of F1's cathedrals of speed, Spa. F1 is officially off of vacation. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. One stop, he's Ricky Cut with his f- Honestly. I've guessed it, I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you, thank you. Welcome on in. It's the very first episode of Mode Push, the American view of F1. I'm your host, Alex Curie. Our other host, Dan Jimenez, right across the desk here from me. Dan, what's going on, man? Alex, I'm just excited for this weekend. <laughs> I'm excited to get this started. And for Spa, which is one of my favorite races. Listen, I don't... I, it's supposed to be everybody's favorite, one of favorite races, but ever since I've gotten into F1, it's a rainy mess or it's just a you know it just doesn't does not live up to the, all the billing that you people who love F1 have always told me that it's going to be. Now, the beauty of it is unquestioned, right? I mean, I think yeah. people know the setting of it out in the middle of the woods in Belgium, very very cool. But man, we might not actually see this thing uh, come back at yeah. some point. So we'll get to, we'll get into a spot preview and uh, we'll jump in. But first, why don't we introduce ourselves a little bit here? So, uh I'm Alex Curie, Dan Jimenez across from me and uh this is a pet project of ours that we decided to just say hey let's do this thing KSL podcast said let's jump in I'm a radio ho- I'm a sports radio host here in Salt Lake City and I've never done anything that's not been just mainstream I'm a college football guy I'm an NFL guy uh, I'm a basketball I'm an NBA guy I'm a college basketball guy and I got freaking sucked in to the F1 machine the oh my gosh and of course I think to myself I don't know how of course I know how because Netflix got me like so many brand new F1 fans. When I say brand new, I, I mean I'm probably four years into this bug as we've uh, as we've kind of called it here. So yeah. I'm 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 almost like a I mean I know too much about it now because like all the other sports I jump into, I don't know how to do it except for just to go. I'm going to get kind of obsessed with it, and I think that there's this massive audience now of people like myself that are showing up and going, dude, F1's amazing. And I would have never, I was never a motorsport guy. And you have a totally different background. So let people know what your background is and how we kind of got into this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is I just became obsessed with motorsports from being a kid. It, you might, from my dad to, to my older brother, we just were always into cars and into motorsports. And I just remember waking up early on a you know Saturday morning to watch F1. And it was you know Speed Channel at 5 a.m., and just loving every second of it, you know, from F1 to World Rally Car to NASCAR to IndyCar. I just, anytime racing was on the television, I was watching it. And I just, that aspiration to work in motorsports grew. And so that's where I took my career initially in, in getting my mechanical engineering degree and then taking that to uh, working for Ford Racing in, uh, in NASCAR out in Charlotte, North Carolina and work for uh, Ford Racing's NASCAR program for a few years and in, in a past life and now I'm back out here in Utah doing something totally different but still <laughs> still following uh the sports as closely as possible keeping up with friends who are in it 
And, uh, yeah, just re- continues to be a passion of mine. You know what's wild, too, is to think, like, when I was a kid, you saw guys who would come from F1. You didn't know they came from F1, but you'd see them in the, uh, in the Indianapolis 500, right? Yeah. And you see guys coming over and you go, man, this guy's got a funky foreign name, and he rolls up here, and now he's a part yeah. of this thing. Yeah. And so you're kind of going, what is this F1 thing? And I think that uh, the death of Ayrton Senna when I was a kid, like that was one thing that really you had to sit up and pay a little bit more attention because you're going, hey, we're we're kind of in the 20th century at that point, and like, we're pretty far in. How are we still having these types of things happen? Yeah. And obviously a ton of things have changed since then, but you think about guys like Michael Schumacher. I remember my, when, my, when, my, when my first kids were born – watching, you know, Cars 2 when it first came out, you know, and you yeah. go, oh, I'm supposed to know who these guys are, who they're referring to. Right. Lewis Hamilton comes in, his iteration is like a car in the movie, and I'm like, I don't know who this cat is. But, I mean, at, at some point you go, okay, these guys transcend uh, the mainstream American sport or – but even NASCAR, like I had a hard time kind of getting into it. And it for me, it was one of those things where I was like, I, I don't know if I can watch this thing go around, the, around this ring at a left turn for 250 laps. Right. Yeah. And I think I just gave the same type type of uh, energy to F1 as I thought of that, where I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand enough of it. Um, but they've made it so easy to consume now. And Netflix did such a great job with and, – and you can say whatever you want about whether or not the narratives are, are real in it's, that show. I don't care. Entertainment. It's I do not care. I watched the thing, and I was hooked from the beginning because I was just like, this fascinates me. And then I got into the quality stuff. I started to, I started to get up early. Yeah. And now here we are. Here we are. We're going into a triple header uh, after the summer break here, and I'm going to be up early for all of these things. So um, I guess when we start off here, let's jump into some of the news from this week. Obviously, the biggest ones, the driver market is freaking insane right now. We were just talking about before we before we uh, started up here, the question marks that are across the driver's market here, before we get into the actual kind of X's and O's on, on, uh, on where everything is. Today, you had Daniel Ricciardo get on uh, Twitter, and finally, I mean, ESPN and a couple of other uh, outlets had picked it up right at the beginning of, of the summer break, which was the McLaren and uh, and Danny Rick had kind of soured on one another, or however that went. Zach Brown, yeah. the CEO, this is the guy. You don't see CEOs of other companies plugged in like this. Of course, it's the American guy, right, who right. rolls in. is like, I'm going to take over this. Yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know what the background there was, but obviously it wasn't working out with Zach Brown and, and Danny Ricardo. I, I, he loves out. Lando Norris, obviously, and he, no, he's, he's made that pretty. But I, I, I don't know how you could go from winning a race last year, being an eight-time race winner in F1, and people going, you couldn't figure it out, mate. We'll see you later. Yeah, there has to be more there. But, yeah, absolutely, you know, except for that win – you know, it's it's uh, it's been a little bit of a disappointment for Daniel Ricardo, especially with how he left Renault Alpine, you know, in, in making that decision to go to, to McLaren. And it just hasn't worked out. And they obviously want him out enough to, to buy him out of his contract. And Daniel should, you know, you feel sorry for him, but he's he's sitting on a pile of cash right now with options to decide where he wants to go next. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one of those sizable contracts that people look at and they go, ooh, there are guys, there are guys that are getting uh, – 10, 15, 20 times less than Danny Ricardo was getting. I mean, I guess because he he just parlayed all that that success from Red Bull into the next contract at Renault, and then obviously getting less money. He's not getting that twenty five and a half million or whatever he was getting at Renault. But man, it was it's yeah. a big contract to try to sink yourself into. It. And McLaren is trying to ride itself financially too, kind of going forward yeah. here. So uh, interesting thing that they're going to have to deal with Andre uh, Seidel. The uh, I think he's a, I mean is the boss there now. And I know Zach Brown goes, no, no, this is your team. You kind of do your own thing. 
He loves being that guy at the front that's that, that's kind of leading the way with this. And Oscar Piastri is going to be the future, right? I mean, that's what we're talking that's about. I know want. nothing yep. about the guy except for the – sometimes they're like, oh, man, F2, F3, F2 champion, and they're like, but we don't care. Who cares? That, that doesn't get you anything now anymore, I feel right. like, in F1. Yeah. No, it's so competitive. The step up in talent from F3, F2 to F1 is just so big that, uh, yeah, you, you know, you have a lot of promise in a kid, but, man, it, it's uh, you don't know until you stick him in that car. Danny Ricardo, here's, here he was on Twitter today making the announcement. It was a sad moment here. Hi, everyone. Uh, wanted to share some news. Uh, it's not great. Uh, it's bittersweet for sure, but uh, I think especially hear it from me. Uh, 2022 will be my last year with McLaren. Um, yeah, just obviously we put in a lot of effort on both sides, but just hasn't worked the way we wanted. Uh, so the team's decided to make a change for next year. And so we had a lot of discussions, but uh, in the end, we mutually agreed that it was the right thing for both of us. Um, I will continue to do the rest of this year, absolutely. Um, and I'll continue to give it my all. Um, so uh, that's, that's that, I think, for the, the future, what lies ahead. I'm not sure yet. Um, not sure yet, but, uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I look back. On this time with McLaren, I look back with a smile. I learned a lot about myself. I think things that will help me for the next step in my career, but I think just in general and in life, uh, you know, I think to, you know, from a results point of view, for sure, like to consistently get the the results and that form that I was after, you know, wasn't, wasn't always there and, you know, made some weekends tough. Um, you know, I felt those absolutely. Um, but I also, you know, have many happy memories of my time at the team and I think about Monza you know I think about standing on the top step I think about you know bringing the the team their first win since 2012 you know like that that sort of stuff was was awesome and to see the smile on everyone's faces to just be in that moment you know that's something I'll never forget Danny Rick walking away from McLaren is he damaged goods at this point Dan where you kind of go I don't know I mean like it's so hard to find guys who are experienced in F1 and certainly race winners, and, I mean, you think about guys who are, are still trying to knock the door down, like your Nico Hulkenbergs and, you know, your Marcus Ericsons who felt like they were slighted and, and, and you know, shafted out of a seat. And it's some, I mean, it's so competitive. But you have teams like Alpine who got left at the uh, doorstep by, by yeah, Oscar Piastri, yeah. right? And and uh, and Alonso and Fernando Alonso, who just, like, you know, I guess pulled the rug out from under them. Yep. Their next option pulled the rug out from under them as well. Is, is it does it seem like a crazy thing just to think oh that'd be a nice move for him just to move he's already been at Renault maybe the yeah. I don't know if the relationships are good enough there it seemed like they were when he left yeah it seems like they they it's the in the best interest of both parties I think for them to end up together for Danny Rick to go back to Alpine Alpine's got like a competitive car right now that's the thing is that oh, it's, it's wild yeah McLaren does not necessarily they have a great young driver and that was not the expectation when when Danny Rick left Alpine was they were they were not what they are today in, right. in, with the new car this year and so that's been the big surprise as you thought Danny Rick's going to McLaren he's got this big personality he'll match well with Lando and you know Zach Brown too and and you know there was just all this hope and aspiration behind that pairing it just hasn't panned out and now it might be, you know, in Danny Rick's best interest to go back to Alpine that just seems to have this car figured out better. Uh, and I don't know what the regulations are going to change a little bit. It, it, what teams are going to figure things out? It's like, it's almost like Ferrari got a head start this year. Yeah. Sort of. And then, like, 
uh, you know, they haven't done a lot with that head start. It was like they obviously have the fastest. On they the have the quickest car. Yeah. The performance is amazing. Everything's going well for them on the on the grid except for the part where the reliability has struggled for them. And, and obviously the strategy has yeah. been a disaster for them as well. So uh, I, I don't know where they go from here, but the, the, there are questions around the seats. The more interesting ones, uh, I don't know. You're going to have a lot of guys who might walk away from the sport for good this year. Yeah, that's always the question. You know, in every silly season, it's who's going to fall off the uh, who's going to fall off the the table off the grid, and who who is coming in that's brand new. You know, uh, Oscar Piastri is obviously the one that you know they're looking at to put in that McLaren seat, and uh, you know who's going to be the odd man out. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel's retiring, but uh, does Danny Rick not have a seat next year? I I don't think so. I think he finds a home. I hope it's at Alpine, but uh, you know we'll see we'll see where he lands. Actual X's and O's. Constructor standings, you have Red Bull, who have a commanding lead now of, what, 97 points uh, ahead of Ferrari. And it and it and it is what it is. Like, you can't just be like, well, Ferrari had X, Y, and Z uh, chances to be able to do it. I don't know what the break looked like. I know that Mattia Benotto is, like, saying all this. They're, they're not saying much at all. That's the point, yeah. right? Like, no, we're fine. We're fine. And, you know, they're just absolutely – the Tifosi are killing these guys because they cannot get ahead. I know you're a little bit of a Ferrari guy. I know you've followed a lot of Ferrari. I know I came in here, and I, when I got into the sport, I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. Ferrari's supposed to be good, right, guys? And I started right. looking around going, so they're not? Is that what's going on? So Ferrari's not good anymore. Is that what I'm getting? And they finally they're start to get back, place. and then it's just reliability. They have the best driver. I mean, Pound for pound, maybe the best driver on the grid, maybe save Max Verstappen and uh, yeah. and Lewis Hamilton, but certainly one of the best young talents. And and there's nothing going on with it. and and it's not like their their second driver is uh, is nothing either. I mean, Carlos Sainz is is one of the great young talents too. Yeah, they have absolutely thrown away the chance to uh, to win a constructors championship this year in a year that they were by far ahead of everybody else. It seemed like and Red Bull does what Red Bull does, which is just they show up. And they are consistent, and Max Verstappen is the best driver this year, and it shows he's 80 points out yeah. uh, ahead of uh, of Charles Leclerc. And I think that the other thing that's interesting, too, is that just five points off of, of uh, Leclerc is uh, is uh, guy, right? is, is Checo. Yeah. yeah, so you go, you start to think to yourself, my goodness. One, two. Red, yeah. Red Bull is – they are going to put the foot down on the neck, and they do not care, and it's just working out for them. But uh, from the constructor standpoint – Red Bull far and away out in front. Ferrari Mercedes has just like piecemealed together. They're starting to surge. They're and I don't know surge. if they, like I'm interested to see what they did over the break. Yeah. And to see if there are some things that happened and I know there's some of the some of the regulations with the floor stuff and and the and the porpoising and everything might be fixed or might not or at least it's going to make it consistent across the grid. I don't know, but you're seeing teams now like for example your McLarens that were up in that top three last year, and they're floundering now. It is a very, very uh, heavy top end, and then everybody else. And uh, I think we've all been pretty excited to see Haas scoring points this year uh, as the American team. I think that uh, it's been fun to watch Alfa Romeo kind of put some things together because uh, you've got Valtteri who's doing his thing there, and uh, Alpine has surprised, I think, everybody by the performance that they've had this year. So I'm looking forward to the next nine races I'm looking forward to what the second half of the uh, – everybody else is saying that this thing's far and away going to be Red Bull running away with it. The mathematics don't necessarily work out for people to really catch up uh, with nine races left, but we've seen wilder things in this sport, and certainly yeah. uh, it's a great time for people who are new at this sport to get in because – and I will say, too, from from a standpoint of somebody who is new, it was important to have a close 
uh, championship last year when I was telling people to get on board. Oh, no. I mean, F1 love. If, if you're F1, you have to have loved that ending. I mean, it took over the international news cycle. It was like the top story. And yes. it was just the most competitive ending you could possibly script up. Right. And it's tough, too, because like for somebody who's getting into it new, if they come in and the thing is decided with four or five races left, then what do you tell people to get excited about? That's right. A- like, that's the thing I think that a lot of Americans – uh, who, or brand new F one, uh, you know, fans are coming into. They're kind of going, okay. So if that car's faster on a weekend, and like they're going to win by by a lap and a half, yeah. this is not that fun to watch. And so I think that they're trying to figure out ways that ev- the co- the cost caps, yeah. all the stuff that they're making changes to, could make it to where uh, when I try to preach the gospel of the uh, of the F one of F one to people. It's got to be something that's competitive on TV and not just a, yeah. a flashy-looking car. Yeah, and you've seen in other sports, uh, motorsport, this has always been the challenge with motorsport, right, is it's a really long season, and the way that the point scoring happens, it's that you don't get the playoff dynamic like you get in all the major American sports. And so, you know, you saw with NASCAR, they brought in the McKinsey consultants, and they came out with the new playoff format with uh, this intention to be able to reset the points with 10 races to go and have that climactic finish. Now you know you could probably argue both sides. Did it uh, did it hurt the uh, kind of the the the, the diehard fans, uh, or did it bring on new fans that were you know into the new format? You know we'll see how it pans out. But I think here with Formula One, uh, that's exactly what you want at the end is you want that tight finish that that produced last year. And and you know kind of going back to how the teams are performing this year, the competition level is just so high in Formula One and all in all top levels of motorsport that success and any advantage is fleeting and you know we've in formula one we're used to seeing mercedes and red bull dominate the last Mm -hmm. decade yeah but those eras come and go it came and went for ferrari it came and went for williams and red bull and mercedes know that they know that ferrari and everyone else is on their heels and it looks like you said out of the gate this season ferrari had the arrow figured out on this new generation car before everybody else ferrari knows they had that advantage and it just eats at them that they have not been able to take advantage of it, that through strategy or reliability, that this chance might be the best chance they have in a decade at a driver's or, or a constructor's championship, and it's just falling through their fingers. And right now, now everybody's starting to catch up because yeah. the changes that you make are a lot different now with the cost cap era. You're not, you're not making them nearly as quickly. You're not yeah. making uh, these insane changes that we see. I mean, the stuff that kept teams down this year kept them down for a while. And so at the end of this year, then you think, okay, back to the drawing board and the winter testing and all those things happen. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen here? But nine races left, so let's get to it. It's not halfway through. I mean, we already had 13 a- mm-hmm. out of the gates. Disappointment so far, I think, for, for you uh, and bright spots. So give, give me a couple of, uh, of each here, where, whatever you want, wherever you want to go here. But what are some of the disappointing uh, spots and where are some of the bright spots here for you? Yeah, obviously out of the gate, uh, Ferrari, right? So much excitement at the beginning of the season with those first few races and really feeling like Charles was going to be able to compete for that driver's championship with, uh, with Max and it just hasn't come to fruition. So, you know, disappointment there. Really hope they can turn around and make it competitive in the second half of the season. Uh, Mercedes out of the gate was a big surprise, right? You know, everyone expected their dominance to continue uh, into this new generation. And they just, the, the approach that they took on, on Arrow and uh, on their suspension has just put them behind with the porpoising and lack of grip. But, the, you know, they're starting to claw their way back um, and, you know, strung together some good finishes right there at the end of the first half of the season. And then Aston Martin has been surprising to me as well. I, you know, they've, they're the almost like the new Haas. They're just the back marker that nobody thinks about. 
And you'd think that with the funding that they have, uh, that they would have been able to field a more competitive car. But it seems like that Mercedes Aston Martin kind of technological pairing is yeah. That's and you see the opposite too, or you see the the same kind of happening for the Ferrari power that you see in some of these back of these other cars too, like Haas, who are like, right. hey. We thought maybe you wouldn't see a, uh, a point scored ever again until Gene Haas sold you guys. But yeah. uh, it, it's been interesting for those who are watching this thing and people who are fans of, of, the, of the Netflix show. I think they, they, they latch on to Gunther Steiner as a, as a character for sure. And oh. then they go, it's the only American team that's out there technically. They got this wild dude who is the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the team principal. And it's funny to watch. And he's wild. And, uh, and they had all sorts of crazy stuff happen over the last couple of years. And... Uh, but that for me has been a bright spot because some of these cars that have those, the, the Ferrari power, including Alfa Romeo kind of probably overperformed, right? Certainly in, in, in a lot of aspects too. Yeah. So it's it, it, the, the technical changes that happened brought teams to the, to the middle of the grid where they weren't uh, after they were in the back, but it also sent some teams, uh, pedaling backward. Mercedes was the one for me where you go, you guys are ahead of everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. Everybody else seems to be ahead of you on this thing and how some of those technical changes just really got them. The porpoising has been really freaking weird, and uh, those drivers are hating it. I mean, Lewis Hamilton and and George Russell just absolutely complaining their way through races going, this is unsustainable. Certainly F1 has got to figure it out too. But everybody had the same regulations to start the season out, and so that's the argument that you get from Red Bull, right? Like, sorry, you could have figured it out (laughs) like the rest of us did. So, uh Halfway MVP. Is it just an easy uh, pick there with Max? Got to be Max. Got to be Max. The consistency and overall performance and Red Bull all together. They're the MVP so far. And it, obviously the uh, the clear favorite to finish out the season in the championship position. Worst driver in the first 13 races of the season. Oh, and it man. doesn't have to be that they don't have any points either. It could just be just, you know, absolutely. I cannot yes. believe they've blown it so many times. <laughs> Whatever it might be. It's easy to go, oh, these guys don't get wins or they're never on the podium. But uh, who's the who's the one who stands out for the person you go, I don't know if they have a long future in F1. Latifi, I think. Oh, no. And he, you know, he. I'm not just picking on him because he doesn't have any points, but you do feel like he's taken a step back from even, you know, in previous years. And, and I think that's the one that I keep looking at as he's not long for – Hey, he can show his kids the highlight, though. <laughs> I made F1 history. Roll it back. That accident right here. Right. I went into the wall right here, and I became the biggest yeah. F1 story in the yeah. history. Well, yeah, not me that. necessarily, but, you know, after the uh, the result. Yeah. Uh, best driver lineup so far. Who's delivered on the on the, on the the one-two punch? Is that an easy one-two? Because uh, although Checo has been wavering che- a little bit in the last uh, four or five races, certainly. Yeah. I, gosh, I think if, if I were starting uh, – uh, an F1 team today, and I had to pick from the existing pairings. I mean, Charles and Carlos, I think, are just super solid. Lewis and uh, and George too. I mean, those top three teams. I think that they're they're just far and away just a step ahead of everybody else on driver team. I just I do like to see when Checo does show up, and like even the guys that are at the top recognize this guy has a different way of defending. Mm-hmm. He's got a he's he's somehow runs people down and if the car is in the right setup for him and the race is in the right setup for him he's right there with max yeah. i mean in, in some of these it. cases so uh, i'm interested to see what he does the rest of the way i'm sure cer- i'm certain he's kicking himself too going i'm five points out of that second spot and yeah the championship is probably not something i can tell our bosses that we could go after here i don't think christian horner is going to hear any of that yeah but uh i do think that that uh being Second on the grid, uh, you know, has to be the goal for him. It's going to be really, really hard because I know Charlotte Claire is going to come out really fighting. Uh, okay, 
Give us a little bit of a preview of what Spa is, maybe a little bit of a history lesson, why this race is so widely loved and so widely recognized, why it's one of your favorites, and what the changes are that they've made to try to make it a little bit more attractive because yeah. this has been uh, historically a dangerous uh, uh, racetrack in some cases. They've had to make some of these changes because of that. Uh, and it might not be on the grid, uh, at least for the short term going forward. And I know they're trying to fix that thing. But uh, you can't lose some of these classics. I know people are arguing that, but there are so many other places that are popping up saying, hey, we've got a racetrack for you here. And maybe I can't see the drivers really being excited about losing this one on the on the uh, on the grid either. No, I think any F1 fan or driver wants to see uh, this race stick around. It's uh, just it's a historical track. It's it's Lambeau Field, right? There's just history to it. and so many great racing moments. What makes it Spa so unique is the length, the elevation change, the overall speed, and then the setting. There's just an absolutely beautiful setting there in Belgium. And so it's the longest uh, circuit on the track, I believe, at uh, just over four miles. And you just get these long straights, big sweeping turns. And so it really highlights the the performance and, and the downforce that these cars can create to be able to hold wide open throttle through these long sweeping curves with off camber, meaning, you know, the, the track is falling away from the driver as he's pulling into the apex. And so the, it just feels like at this track more than any other, the driver is just on the edge. And I think it really separates the best, those best drivers because you're just so on the limit, the entire, uh, the entire, uh, length of the course. And then one of the really unique features is uh Uroge and it's that the hill up uh going up the hill after you know turn two turn three this big long winding s where you gain a bunch of elevation it's you know four or five stories of elevation and again it's a blind corner coming off so you're right you take a right up into it and then you can take that left it's blind and it there's a there's a, a fence right you know <laughs> the guardrails right after right. that and so it's a it's a test of courage it's a test of 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 a driver's ability to when that hold rain that throttle down. down. Well, I mean, in these past races, when that rain's been there, you got those rooster tails coming off of those cars, and you go, I don't know how these guys freaking do it. I don't know how they do it. That you know, they're driving into just a, a, a cloud of mist, and there are cars in there. You don't know if somebody's gone off track, but you have to keep the throttle down. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, they've there's been you know deadly crashes there mm-hmm. in recent history, and so uh, part of the changes that they're making this year are to. Um, you know, improve the safety of that particular corner by, you know, decreasing the corner radiuses or, or in other words, making them tighter so that the drivers will have to lift more often and, and, and come into the, the corner with a little bit less speed, exit with a little bit less speed so that uh, they can just, you know, try to make it a bit safer, especially when the rain starts coming. That becomes, I think, the scariest corner in all of motorsports. Uh, watching all of these things like, you know, these, this is probably my fifth year of watching – uh, these races kind of at these different venues and and uh, so it's harder for me to grasp kind of the history of it because I'm like well this is new history to me but yeah th- there are a lot of there are a lot of moments and even in recent history like you were saying where you have an F2 crash that that kills uh, you know somebody who guys on the F1 grid were very very close with and a guy who had aspirations to be on that F1 grid as well and I think that those those changes they have to be made because uh, it's not a draw anymore. I mean, I think uh, here's the thing. The danger is is like a really interesting draw to this sport, too, because it is 
insane what these cars can do. And I think it's hard to, to let people understand what the downforce is on these cars, too. Right. Because when you watch a GP2 race or when you watch these other races and you see those, sometimes you can even go, I mean, you can go online and you can see the comparisons of like going through a Rouge going up that hill. Of the different cars, right, of the G, of the GP2s and, and even the F2 and F3 cars compared to an F1 car yeah. or just even a street car. Maybe they throw a, a Porsche on the, on, the, uh, on, the, on the circuit and then you see those side by side like a little ghost track that you do on yeah. like Mario Kart or something. And you go, <laughs> oh, these F1 cars are built. It just is it's, – it's hard to understand and to see how difficult that yeah. that race can it's, be. I mean, it's, these, it's an airplane flying up, you know, driving upside down. You know, these cars make more downforce than they weigh. You could drive an F1 car upside down in a tunnel, and it would stick to the ceiling. And so the amount of force that puts into the tires, the amount of grip that generates, and the force on the driver's body to the Gs side to side uh, is just incredible to watch. So you've got kind of the Max double weekend here where you have him having some, you know, uh, a strange draw to Belgium because he was born in Belgium. And that's right. And so uh, but then you, so you're going to have a lot of the the orange smoke is going to be anywhere in Europe. Right. But it's going to be insane. Could you imagine spending two thousand dollars on a on a pass again and then getting smoked out with the orange with the uh, orange smoke? Belgian GP this weekend. You've got the Dutch Grand Prix uh, next week and then you've got the Italian GP. So you're going to have. A couple of weeks here in a row, I think, where Max is is going to be on Max form, knowing that he has to perform in kind of these uh, in these home crowd situations. Right. And then, uh, but the fun part about this year is is that the, the next little while, this this triple header that's coming up is one of the these are some of the great races that you're seeing. Yeah. And some of the the, the Dutch Grand Prix is interesting because it's one that's back on the calendar. It's a place that they've been before and it's gaining even more traction. You think we love it here or we're starting to get into it there. That's a place that might be one of the more insane uh, fan bases yeah. uh, across all the sport. Yeah, that was my uh the the track that I had starred last year that I was most excited to see. Just the unique track configuration, the high bank turns. I think part of what Formula 1, I think part of the attraction to Formula 1, especially for American fans versus NASCAR, IndyCar is just the visual spectacle of it all. Formula 1 is, does such a great job with the helicopters and the panning and everything so that you just get drawn in to the cinematic experience that is watching a live F1 race. And I think there at Netherlands, they that generates some of the best visuals. And so it's it's a lot of fun to watch. The race last year is maybe a little dry, not, a, not as much passing. So hopefully they can work with the DRS zones. And, you know, Pirelli's brought maybe uh, a tire that might suit it a little bit better for, for better race conditions. And then moving on to Italy, that seems to have been the wild card these last two seasons. With Daniel and then previously with Pierre Gasly, it's it's a bit of a wild card track there, and it's uh, if you're looking at one of these races uh, that are upcoming and you see kind of what the calendar looks like, and and I know that like I said, people want to see if there's going to be some competition there. So what is the what is the the if you're looking at this and you've got an 80 point lead in your uh, Max Verstappen, or you have a 97 point lead and you're 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 in, uh, ahead of, of Ferrari and the constructors if you're Red Bull. Uh, then what's your what's your deal now? Is it just kind of hey stay consistent? And we know that we just need to put the foot down. And if we and if we just stay consistent, and we finish races on mostly on podiums. We're going to win this thing. Yeah, you know Red Bull's going to want to play conservative. I don't think Max has a conservative setting. I don't in think him. I don't think Christian Horner does either. <laughs> and I certainly know Checo is uh, acts like he's ste- all these guys think they're number one. Dude. Right? And like honestly, they all think they should be. Uh, if I just had the same car as everybody else, I would be I would the be best there. person on the grid. You have to believe that as a driver. You have to believe that, hey, in the right equipment, I'm the best guy out there, right? But not everybody's the best. But, <laughs> you know, Max is clearly, you know, a step ahead of, of Checo and a lot of other guys on, on the grid. But they're going to play a conservative, I think. They, they, they uh, 
you know, Max has the wins. The wins are great. But, uh, you know, that they got to shoot for that championship, especially if they have the chance to go 1-2 in the championship with Checo. What do you do with that, with, uh, with the free practice races on FP1, FP2, FP3? Like, I, I try to get into those and be like, ooh, what am I learning from this? And I have to find a balance of going, this is not quality. This is not – I don't understand anything about – like, I didn't really come away from this day. When somebody wins FP2, I don't go, ooh, it's going to be a huge weekend for them. Right, no, yeah. With these practice sessions, they're – they're bringing to the track a, a myriad of different setups, a, a different changes that they're going to test to try and validate what they saw in the sim, in the simulations mm-hmm. that they run before the race to say, yep, that change did exactly what we thought. So everyone's going to be running different configurations. They're trying to learn more and get more data on the tires and how they're reacting with the, you know, the weekend conditions. And then you know, they'll go into you know qualifying trim to be able to get a read of, okay, how fast are we actually? So you can't read too much into, you know, those FP1, FP2 times. Uh, it is always fun to see, like, what was it, Latifi led a practice session recently, <laughs> sure. and you're like, here comes Latifi. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see what people learn, uh, and especially for some of the new drivers watching them get to know tracks that they've never been to before. Uh, well, I think that kind of wraps up our uh – our first episode here. Dan, you feel comfortable? Should we do this again? Should we this keep doing great. this? Let's keep it going. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to make sure that uh, after we do the race previews, we're going to also get into these uh, race reviews as well. We're going to make sure that uh, we come back uh, at the beginning of every week and kind of go over what we saw and uh, and also start to get in with the, uh, with the preview of some of the next races that are to come. Alex Keery, Dan Jimenez. It's Mode Push, the podcast from KSL Podcast and KSL Sports. We'll be back again. Dan, thanks for hanging out, man. Always.